welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sunday School by Matt Carpenter on June 12th, Lord's Day Service. and get started. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for providing the opportunity for us to gather. May we receive from your word. May we be convicted. May we grow in understanding and wisdom and joy as especially for the men here in how to walk as godly and faithful husbands. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. One, one of the greatest unspoken characters in Scripture is found in Proverbs 31. Now, of course, when I say unspoken, you say, what are you talking about? Proverbs 31, woman, is trotted out every year, especially around Mother's Day. Everybody talks about her. And the answer is, no, I'm not talking about the Proverbs 31 mom. I'm talking, and the wife, I'm talking about the Proverbs 31 husband. You ever heard a sermon on the Proverbs 31 husband? Probably not. But you don't have the successful household in, of Proverbs 31 with only a great wife. You ever thought about that? Now, I, sisters, you're, you're going to have to be careful because at this point, some of you may be saying, huh, but why not? What? But you don't. It, it doesn't work that way. Looming in the background of Proverbs 31 is a wise, strong, and godly husband. Plenty of men <clears throat> think it would be awesome to be married to a Proverbs 31 woman. But the fact is, very few men in the world could lead a Proverbs 31 woman. She'd be too much. For him. I mean, seriously, guys, don't, don't, don't answer this out loud, okay? But think about it. Do you have what you would need to take care and, and to, to lead rather than follow a woman who is super smart, hardworking, who has accumulated wealth, and who is quite wise? Would you be able to do that? Hopefully. But if a lot of guys are honest, we'd say... It would be a challenge. Imagine the energy, the guidance, the wisdom that it takes for a man to know when to push back on her ideas. And she has a lot of ideas. These, we just read about the things that she does. Imagine all the things that she wants to do. And when she can point to a track record like she has, like I brought you a couple of million through the last investment, and he's going to say, I mean, it takes a lot of gumption to say, actually, no, this is not what we're going to do. But the husband in this situation is not sitting back and watching. In order for the woman in Proverbs 31 to flourish, her husband must lead. 
I'll say that again. In order for the Proverbs 31 woman to flourish, her husband must lead. So what kind of husband does it take to be married to this woman? How, so, so, so men, ask yourself this. Don't ask your wives, but ask yourself. How easy would it be for the woman in Proverbs 31 to respect and honor you? Just as this woman is the ideal for a wife, the man behind her is also the ideal for a husband. He is the wise man found throughout Proverbs. Have you ever asked yourself, ladies, have you ever asked, you know, because over the years I've actually heard, especially in other churches of which denomination will remain nameless because I don't talk about Southern Baptists that way, and... Here, there's always this little bit of resentment that comes out. Because it was always on Mother's Day, you know what's coming. It ain't a sermon on Zechariah. Proverbs 31. And there's always this little bit of frustration that comes out. Why are we hearing about her again? And I've actually heard wives say, I wish there was a man that would have the same, that there was a picture of a godly husband and father like there is in Proverbs 31. So guess what? There is. His name is Jesus. And we see, I mean, he is the incarnation of all wisdom. And we see him exemplified in the book of Proverbs beginning in the first chapter when he talks about the wise man who hears and increases in learning, the man who, uh, who abstains from foolishness, who doesn't get in useless arguments, the man who wisely leads, who controls his anger, and is greater than one who can overthrow an entire city. Everything you read about in Proverbs leading up to Proverbs 31 that mentions a wise man, that is the man that the husband should be. That's the man who is married to Lady Wisdom. See, you got this whole other layer in Proverbs. You have, yes, do this and don't do that. Be, be wise, don't be foolish, don't be lazy. You, know, you have all that. But you also have a picture of the wise man in Proverbs and the wise woman. The wise woman, you know, we, we read wisdom is personified as a woman in Proverbs. You ever heard the name Sophia? Sophia means wisdom. Lady Sophia in Proverbs is the Proverbs 31 woman. She is the epitome of wisdom. The, she is the, in Proverbs 31 is the incarnation of Lady Wisdom. So, y'all pray for me. I've already gotten way off from the notes. Uh, so, that's just life. But, <clears throat> men, all of us here would surely risk death to protect our wives. I, I certainly hope so. I mean, if I ask for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, because every, every guy in here better raise his hand if you're married. If I say, how many of you are willing to die for your wives? Boom! They're up, there go the hands. Okay? Next question. How many of you die daily for your wives? How many of you sacrifice what you want to do every day, multiple times a day, to bless and to give and to minister to and encourage your wife? Every day. 
That's something we don't want to do. It's a whole, I mean, I've known guys who actually wanted to die because they were married to their wife. I mean, that sounds funny, but I'm serious. I've known guys who said, I, w I wish I could just sacrifice myself for her one time and die. And then, unspoken, you can, you can actually speak the unspoken. I don't have to say it. That's easy. You know what's not easy? When you have a really good idea about something and she doesn't want to do it. And you say, but, but this is going to, this is so great. And she says, no, it's actually stupid. And then you say, but I beg to differ, loved one. And then you just get in this, this gracious, loving conversation, right? Or not. Or it goes the way of the flesh. Headship in marriage looks like dying to yourself every day for your wife to become more like Christ. It means giving of yourself. It means saying no to things you want to do. It means sacrificing your time, your energy, your strength, your, your everything that you have. It means giving that to bless your wife and your family. That's what headship looks like. This is loving your wife as Christ loves the church. You say, I didn't know all that. Well, <laughs> it's all right. Because this is what God has blessed you to do. This is the calling of most men. <coughs> the word husband means one who cultivates, one who tends. It's, a, it's a, an agricultural term, as many are in Scripture. The husband is responsible for the cultivation of the garden before him. Each of us, all of us, we're gardens. We're created from the earth. We're created of the earth, and we're made to bring forth fruit. And fruit doesn't come just by planting seed and waiting for it. Have you ever thought that that's what gardening was? You dig a hole, you put the seed in, you put the dirt on top, and then you just... And then you say to yourself, why is this stupid seed not growing? Because you've got to do a little more than that. If you put seed in dead soil, is anything going to happen? The soil needs to already have life in it. So, Planting means nourishing the soil, preparing the soil, ensuring that the nutrients and the moisture and the organisms are as they should be there. Yes, it does mean planting seed. It also means plucking weeds. It means watering, and it means watering regularly. So the next couple of days, it's going to be in the mid and upper 90s. Guess what? If you say, you know what, either, those, either my plants, my flowers, they're either going to do well or they're not. There's not a whole lot I can do about it, so I'm not going to water them. Guess what? You will give a self-fulfilling prophecy. There. Same goes for your relationship with your wives, men. If you say, you know, she's, she's either going to have to suck it up and learn to deal with it because life stinks sometimes, and I'm just helping out with her sanctification. 
I, I'm helping her raise the bar. She may feel like raising a bar to you when you do that. that that's not what helps. That, 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 that's not nourishing. That's like, that's like the farmer who puts the soil in the ground, puts the seed in the ground and says, all right, grow. Even then, even when you do everything, sometimes the harvest doesn't go as you want. You can do everything right, everything. And sometimes the seed doesn't grow. Or sometimes it's not very healthy. And you say, I don't understand what the problem is. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why is this not growing? Any number of reasons. Have you in your marriage ever, ever given everything you have towards something? You, you poured yourself out. You say, I don't have a drop left. And still, look at the results that I have. What do you do? Well, the answer is not, say, go try again somewhere else. You just keep on. This is, saying, this is what marriage does. Marriage is helping make you holy. And sometimes growing in holiness is not easy. If it was, who wouldn't be doing it? The Christian life has suffering. And you know what? Sometimes marriage brings suffering. Even marriage to godly people will bring suffering. So you, you can't just cop out with, I've done everything that I can do, and so I am, I'm going to quit trying now. No. Sometimes taking dominion means continuing to plant continuing to nourish the soil. It means learning. It means adapting. Being a steward of God's gifts means also being wise in what you plant. Have you ever seen wheat growing in South Florida? Probably not. Have you ever seen oranges growing in Minnesota? No. Does that mean no one's ever tried? No. The climate doesn't work. It doesn't work for the seed that's there. There are things that you can want in your marriage that you are naturally prohibited from, from doing. And I'm not talking about basic sanctification. I'm talking about things that you want for your calling, okay? And this is especially to men. There are things you may want. You may say, I want my family to be missionaries to Thailand or something like that. Guess what? The, the wife that you married may mean that you are not to do that. And I, I've seen the shoe on the other foot. I talked to a lady who believed with all her heart that she was called to be a missionary. But her husband was not. He was a good man, but he was not. Mission-minded. So, she asked, what am I supposed to do? Love your husband. Submit to him. We can't do everything. Marriage puts on us natural, God-ordained limits. 
Sometimes there's things, and you know this with your own kids, there are things that, that your kids want to do. Have your kids ever asked to do something that you know, this is not going to end well if they actually go through with this. This is going to be ugly. Like, I've got this marker, and I can paint, I can paint you and Mommy on this wall. Can I please do it? No. So you, you put a stop to it. Those are God-ordained limits. Your marriage places for, with you God-ordained limits, and that's not a bad thing. We think sometimes that limitation is only from the devil. No. Limitation is from God. So, often the response is, but Pastor Matt, you don't understand. I'm leading. I am faithful. I've, I've presented the vision. I've got a 17-point PowerPoint slide, 17-slide PowerPoint slide, and I've shown it, and I've demonstrated what the godly family looks like, and she will go through with it. She won't submit. She won't do fill in the blank. Well, brothers, I'm going to tell you what. You cannot make your wife submit. You cannot. Now, yeah, you can try. You can stomp your foot and you can demand, submit to me. Maybe you have before. If you have, you've probably seen what the result was. It was never, oh, of course. Why didn't I see that before? That stomp of the foot, that shaking of the floor, it makes everything come together now. Thank you so much. That never happened. So you cannot demand submission. But by God's grace, you can lead her into submission. And it's not all at once. It will not be all at once. So let me ask you this. What type of vision are you casting for your family? Are you casting a vision for your family? Because, brothers, if, if you are the only one who's excited about the direction you want your family to go, that's a problem. And you may have Bible verses for it. You, you, you may have, you know, 17 proof texts for every point. But if your family's miserable, sorry, something's got to change. And I don't mean that you say, well, I guess I'm just going to be a slob now because she won't get on board, so I'm just going to be late. No. See, leading your family means adapting. You have to adapt. You have to be willing to shift the way that you're going to. You're still headed together for the kingdom of God. You're still called to lead her, to bless her, to, to give yourself to her, and to, to sacrifice as Christ did for his church. Wash her with the water of the word. But that should be a blessing to her. If it's not, if she takes your giving as harmful, you're going to have to find a different way of doing it. So either you, ad you adapt to her or you need to help her in her pursuit. But you can't just tell her, this is what I expect, 
And then when she doesn't do it, when she doesn't follow through, you say, what's the problem? I've explained this. I've said what, I've told you what it looks like. So, in the time we have remaining, this lesson is not about building a household in the way that, you know, like Chris Wiley's book, Man of the House. Building a household in that way is that second-level stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Cultivating your domestic garden, that is building your relationship with your wife and then also with your children, this is the foundation. This applies to everybody. And if you don't have the foundation in place, the other part will eventually collapse. Now, I don't mean your marriage is going to collapse. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, though, if you don't have this, this part in as it should be, if the foundation is not strong, everything that you put on top of it will not remain. It can't stay. So, with that... How do we as men practice good husbandry? How do we cultivate the garden of our home? So this is the point at which if I had a marker, I would be writing on the board. But I don't. So take my word for it. Okay. And I can, I can try to send these, these, these five points out later uh, for anybody who would, who would like them. But number, number one... The first thing, men, for you to do in, in godly headship is grow in personal virtue. Grow in personal virtue. Leadership begins by example. So are you the kind of man that your wife and children appreciate and look up to? Can your wife point to you and say to your kids, be, I hope that you grow up to be like him. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's not that way in every family. Now, ladies, I'm not asking you, don't, don't, don't use this as a crowbar on your husband, okay? Don't go home and say, actually, I can't say that about you because A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then, you know, finally when you get to point Z7, then... You know, so don't do that. And, and let me just stop here. One more exhortation to wives. Whatever you see in the, with this in your husband, pray, okay? If you see an area that where, where he can grow, pray for him. The answer is not on the way home, hey, let's talk about the Sunday school lesson today. But so grow, men, in personal virtue. So do you show grace, strength, humility, and joy in your home? Think about the times that those qualities are mentioned in Proverbs. Do you serve your wife to death? Not literally. But do you serve her? Do you bless her? When you're at home, what is it? Is it, I'm the king here. I put in my eight hours, or is it what we got going on? Where are we at? 
Are you coming home not as she's pulling the load now and you're just going to sit up in the wagon and say, yeah, but no, are you coming along and saying, all right, I'm joining the team now, let's pull together. Because that's actually, if you read the article from a little, uh, a few weeks back on, um, I, I believe it was on the weapon of submission, I think. I, I can't remember. It was one of the two articles. I, I don't remember which one. I talked about marriage being, is compared in scripture to a yoke where you have two animals. You have one who is the primary leader, but they're both yoked together. So, brothers, if, if you are not the type of leader that your wife wants to follow, grow into being that man. This, this is not an impossible thing, okay? I, I do, the other thing, so you got the Mother's Day sermons where beautiful, wonderful moms are praised. You know what happens on the Father's Day sermons? Bam, 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 bam. The, the, the men are just beaten to death. This is not to beat you to death. Okay? These are, these are hard words. I, I grant that they're hard words. But everything that I'm telling you, by God's grace, you can grow in. There's nothing I'm saying here that is beyond a man who has God's spirit. Nothing. Granted, you won't make leaps and bounds. So, you know, so you're not going to be John Calvin day after tomorrow in personal piety. That's okay. That is perfectly okay because you are not to be him. You are, you are to be, this sounds really cliched and trite, but it is absolutely true. The only man that God has called you to be is the one that he has made you and the one that he is pointing you towards. He is only calling you to emulate Jesus Christ. And it's going to look different in every man, but it's also going to have some of the same qualities. And it is possible. That's what I want you to understand. It is possible. So, number two. We have grow, a leader grows in personal virtue, but also it means building trust. One, one of those unspoken elements in Proverbs 31 is found in verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Think about this. It's not just that the heart of her husband trusts her. He safely trusts her. His, he can rest in the degree of the relationship he has with his wife. So how can she do all of these things? Because he trusts her enough to give her responsibility in all of these areas. But that, that trust does not just come by his sitting back and watching, oh, okay, so she did pretty well investing here. She did pretty well with, these, with, with making these clothes. So I'm going to, it's not just watching. That's not the only type of trust. This is a relational trust. He has confidence in her. And likewise, she must reciprocally have confidence in him. The trust is not immediate. It's built over Time. It comes from hours and hours of working, of laboring together. And these qualities are forged by God. And one of the primary instruments for forging trust is through the husband leading his wife. So men, building this type of trust 
For you to have this trust in your wife, you have to pour into her. Where did Eve come from? Did she come, was she just pulled out of the dust of the ground? No, she came from Adam. In order for Eve to be formed, she had to come from Adam. His rib was removed. His, part of his being was changed. Part of him was taken out so that she could have life. Men, in order for your wife to be what God intends her to be, you have to give up a big part of yourself. It requires a lifetime of sacrifice on her behalf. And I know, you, you hear me talk about sacrifice, you say, you're kind of beating this one into the ground, just so you know. What is the quality that we're told about Jesus? In the great picture of Christ's love for his church, did he just wash her with the water of the word? No. I mean, he did, that's not all he did. He loved her. He gave himself for her. He sacrificed for her. Biblical headship means helping our wives become who God intends them to be. So again, it means giving up of ourselves. It means losing part of us as Adam lost part of himself for his wife to be formed. So start by listening to her. Building trust requires listening, not arguing, not, oh, excuse me, you actually did not understand. I know that the third thing you said is actually not correct because, boom, 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 boom. No. Listen. Stay quiet. Let her speak. Then help her. Now, I don't mean, when I say help her, I don't mean you have to, you're called to neglect your responsibilities in other places. But listening to Man Show podcast at 9 o'clock at night while she's giving the kids a bath is not one of your primary responsibilities. So give. It should never be all one way. So, men, are you helping her with the kids? Is she having trouble with something? Even if it's technically not your job, if she's lacking, if things are behind, do you say, what is this? Why are things... One of the, I'll tell you the story. One of the saddest things that I can remember from years ago, um, much younger in counseling, and I heard a husband... who I, I don't guess that he knew that I was around. But he told his wife, and he had gotten home from work, and she was just running herself ragged. And he said, why isn't this trash emptied? That's, the, the trash can looks terrible. Why, why isn't it emptied? He said, this is, this is one of your jobs. They had, they, had, they had a chart, you know, with what he does and what she does. And this is on the, the, the she column. 
We have to, and that's one area. And there's any number of areas we can do this, okay? Now, I'm not going to just beat Matt Carpenter into the ground either here, but I'm going to tell you, this is not stuff that, that I'm coming to you saying, you know, I've actually got this figured out. I don't sin this way anymore. I hope the rest of you mortals can join me. As, not at all. This, these are things that Amanda and I live through. Note the present tense. Okay? So I'm not saying stuff like, this is just, this is just God's word. All right? So, part of her, your husband's being able to trust your wives is not just that you prove yourself to her, but your relationship is growing. You are pouring yourself into that relationship. That when she is weak, and your wives know at times they are weak. When she is weak, instead of you looking down on her weakness, you come alongside and help her, strengthen her in her weakness. That's Jesus. Three. Get to know her. Now that can sound really simplistic. Right? Yeah, we've been married for how many ever years? But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Dwelling with her according to knowledge means being a student of her for the rest of your life. No, it doesn't mean making a chart of all her likes, dislikes, of all the things that you know get on her nerves so that you don't do It's not just that. It's not a list that you can check off. It's, it's coming to know her closely. There are things about um, your wives, your wife, that you will not know until you've been married with her for a number of years. So that means you're called to continue getting to know her. She is a creature made in God's image, just like you. She is a sinner, just like you. And believe me, none of this, I'm not saying any of this to you with the idea that your wives are over here just being godly 100% of the time. And the only problem with your marriage boys, is that it's... No, I don't mean that. I am absolutely not saying that. Part of the reason God gives us marriage is He puts two sinners together so their sins chisel each other down. Not down as in to nothing. They chisel the stuff that needs to be removed and God is using that person to craft you and form you into the one that will better reflect his image so that in eternity what you reflect is going to in part be formed by what God was doing in you right now through your spouse. So this is not empty work. So get to know her. A wife cannot be led well unless she is first known and understood by her husband. It's not just that you're trying to know her. She has to know that you know her. That's part of her confidence in you. So, for example, what blesses your wife? 
What encourages her? What's her biggest fear? What does she struggle with? What does she enjoy doing with you? In what area does she wish that you could grow? Do you know what these are? What would help her to grow in her relationship with you? These are just a few questions that you can think about and you can ask when you're considering how can I become the man that God intends me to be and how can I help her become the wife God intends for her to be. Because at times, yes, you will exhort your wife if she, if she needs strength, if she needs encouragement, or if she needs correction. That is totally within the bounds of what a marriage is. That's part of applying the word. But you know this. Is it easier to hear correction from someone that you are already on an, in an antagonistic relationship with, or is it easier to receive it from someone that you know has your best interest at heart? And if, and if there's antagonism already there and you're trying to correct, it's not going to work. You might as well try to throw a tennis ball against that wall and expect it to stick. So... Build. Get to know her. Number four, honor her. The second part of First Peter 3, verse 7, if dwelling with her according to knowledge was not already, say, you're piling it on pretty heavy at this point, don't worry, there's more. It says, after dwell with her according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Peter's not making a point that wives are physically weaker. He is saying that a wife's foremost contribution to the household is not especially strength in, this, in the way that it's the husband's, but it is beauty and glory. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, that the glory of the woman, excuse me, the glory of man is the woman. She adds a greater degree of beauty, of glory to her husband. Now, Peter does not use, when he, when he talks about beauty, he does not use that word in 1 Peter 3, 7, when he says giving honor to hers to the weaker vessel. But he did already refer to it a few verses before in 1 Peter 3, verse 3, when he says that a wife's adornment or her beautification should not be foremost in hair and makeup. Doesn't mean you don't wear hair. You don't, don't wear hair. Y'all know what I mean there. That doesn't mean you don't make yourself lovely. It means that's not the first priority. The first priority is inner, the inner person. The, the part that will last forever. Because makeup and, 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 and wor working in your, on your hair, that only can go so far. And physical beauty will fade. But what God wants inwardly is not going to fade. It will last forever. So honoring the wife as a weaker vessel doesn't mean I've got to treat her like she's delicate, like she could break at any moment. 
He's saying prize her, though, as a precious, beautiful vase. This type of honor requires that a husband gives her his priority and special attention. He treasures her as God's gift to the household. That means you honor, you respect the gifts that she has. You allow her to flourish where she is able to flourish. So being the head of the home means that a husband simultaneously appreciates the gifts that his wife has, but also helps her grow further in inner beauty. So honor her. Number five, it means being a godly husband means that we should develop our vision. Don't just present your vision, develop it. I've already alluded to this, spoken a little bit about it before, but sometimes we think as men that simply expressing our vision for our home should be enough. Like, I want blank. But a man's vision must be tempered by his wife. Otherwise, they can't pull in the same direction. So you can say, I want us to go this way, and I want our home to look this way. You can tell her these things. But anything that you demand, that those immediate demands, if, granted, you can push, and you can get temporarily what you want. You can push. We're guys. We know how to push. That's how God made us. He made us to push. Some of us would not be married unless we had pressed. That's a, that's a good thing. This is not something to be ashamed of, guys. This is part of how God made us. So embrace it. But let God also chasten this part of you as well. So putting, with your expectations... And when I say expectations, I'm not talking about here things like I want us to, to read God's word together as a family, okay? That's something that everyone should do. But even there, be open to correction about how you do it. Because I, I've observed homes before where the father wants to do devotion and the wife says no. Well, of course, what does that sound like? She's pagan. He's not. That's what it sounds like. Until you actually get in and find out he's trying to, he's pretending to be Thomas Aquinas with, you know, Psalm 1 verse 1 and going into, you know, talking for 40 minutes. Most of it just helicoptering, you know, just going around the same material 73 times. And his, and his wife and kids are over there, and the kids are drooling, and, and the wife's struggling. to and, and so when you find that out, it makes it a little bit different. Or when he is taking the verse and say, you know, so, so it says here this, and actually, Johnny, you're, you're always doing the thing that it says not to do here, and you need to quit because I saw you yesterday, blah, 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 blah. And, and devotion turns into, you know, verbally beat the kids. Guess what? 
Nobody wants that. That's called boiling the kid in his mother's milk. That's an application of the verse in Leviticus. It says don't, don't boil the kid, you know, the baby goat, his mother's milk. Taking what God intends for good and using it as a, a method of harm. Now, so when you, when you put that backdrop on the why does my wife not want us to have devotion question, it gives a little bit more light to it, doesn't it? So listen, learn, be flexible. Your vision, if you, your desire should be to honor God's kingdom, to help your children to grow, to help your wife to grow, and to be the man that it honors God. So when you stand before Him, you and your wife and your kids will all together be before the Lord and he will, he will say to, every, to all of you, well done. And he will look at you, the one who is given responsibility to lead your wife and kids, and he will say, regarding your job as a husband and as a father, good job. But if we make it unpleasant for the people we are leading, we can't lead them. So it's a balance. Yes, there's discipline needed. Yes, we, we, we have to do it, and we have to do what we do well. But we cannot just demand. And, and so I'm emphasizing that because in our church, this is the area, this is the ditch we are more inclined to fall in. Many of us are. So, developing your vision means crafting, honing, and adapting and growing your vision with what your capabilities and your wife's capabilities are. It doesn't mean you give up. Just like the farmer who decides he wants to plant wheat in Florida, you can try, then if you discover this is not going to work, well, let's do what works. Let's plant what works. That's adapting. That's a good thing. Can I tell you all something really personal right now? It's not that personal because I've told Amanda also, so it's not like I'm divulging any secrets. But she and I would not be an ideal couple to be in, political, in the political limelight. Okay? She told me I, 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 that that's not something that she would want, and frankly, I don't want it. So I'm very thankful I can look in the mirror and say, I'm glad I don't ever have to worry about being president of the United States. Because that's, that's not where our giftings are. Do an honest assessment here. Think about it. You know, what are you gifted in doing? You can't be good at everything. You can't, man, your wife can't. So find what you're good at. Find how you can bless God's kingdom and get after it. Joyfully. With humility. I'm not saying here, in closing, that if you do all these things, your life will be perfect. It won't be. If we saw all the challenges that are ahead of us right now, we'd be tempted to just give up. If you, I mean, if you could say that's what God graciously doesn't let us see that. Women, as I already said, are sinners also. And they make it really difficult at times for a husband to lead. 
But their battle is different than our battle, men. You husbands will not give an account to God for your wife's sins. You will give an account for your sins. You will give an account for how you led. Even if no one, even if they do not follow, he will still hold you accountable for did you lead in a good, righteous way. Your marriage is not you playing the part of George Patton leading of 345 tanks across France. Okay? Headship means owning the life of your home and doing everything you can, including dying daily for the blessing and the beauty of your wife and your home. This is how we display godly headship. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.